This is The Tortoise, the podcast that digs deep into the power of slow. I am your host, Brooke McCallery, and I am joined by my life host, Ben McCallery. Whoa. <laughs> I sound like a parasite. Oh, oh. No, that wasn't the intention. Okay. Yeah, just, Hi. Well, it may be fitting for today's conversation. Oh, totally. Totally. I can't wait to get into it. But I think we should start with a bit of a check-in. Okay, let's do it. How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. So, like, painting the picture, we're sitting in our back room, as is our want. The fire is going. It's crackling away. I don't know if you can hear it or not. The sun was shining. It's um, I'm drinking coffee. Like it's good. Life's good. Yeah. How about you? School holidays. It is school holidays. So the kids are at home. And mm-hmm. How dare they? We've had a busy, I think, start of the holidays. As in, we've I think we've done a lot. Yeah, I mean, we went away for a few days with family, and we've had a few day trips. Our camping trip got rained out, unfortunately, which was a bit of a bummer. Huge bummer. But uh, you know, you, that's that's the risk with camping. Yeah. And. Yeah, so we filled those days with with other things, which was really nice, actually. Went and saw a movie, went for a day trip to Canberra, went to Questacon. Yep. Living my year six best life. Questacon because our eldest never got to go to Questacon because of COVID. COVID. So a bit of context. Not everyone listening to this podcast grew up in Sydney. (laughs) Questacon is like our national science centre in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia which is about two hours from where we live. And Questacon, going to Questacon, for at least for kids who grew up in Western Sydney um, in like the 90s, your year six camp was a trip to Canberra. You went to Questacon, you went to Parliament House, you went to the War Memorial. Um, yeah, and our eldest missed out on that because of COVID. So we went for a little day I love trip. little day trip. It was fun. It was a really fun day actually. So fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, But that all sounds very relaxing and nice, but I feel stressed. Okay. Really stressed. You're juggling, though. I'm juggling. And I feel like school holidays, you're just juggling that one extra ball as well. That's what I mean. You're juggling Mm. school holidays in a way that I'm not this time around. So it's it's a bit tough. Yeah, I just feel really stressed. and I'm sorry. I don't feel 100% either. Mm. Or very on topic for today's episode, actually. I think so. <laughs> I think so. All right. So as you said at the start of the show, the, the topic's all about wellness. I don't think I did say that. Why oh, didn't you? I intimated. You hinted at I did. It. But if people have read the they will title, they'll know. Uh, so yeah, wellness. And we tried to record this episode about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Before school holidays. Before we were trying school to holidays. Yeah, yeah. We were trying to, to do the get right on top thing. of things. But what we found is when we were talking is that wellness as a topic is just so huge and we could take it in so many d- different directions mm-hmm. that we felt like we needed to narrow the scope of it a mm. little bit. And just talk about wellness because it's something we've both experienced, wellness and social media. Yeah. A- a- and, and social media wellness influences more specifically and how they've infiltrated the wellness scene right and how that makes us feel yeah because when we first started talking about it I think you 
I know I certainly felt a bit conflicted because I have no broad issue with wellness. I have no problem with people wanting to feel well. Uh, but even as we started that initial conversation, it was like, well, what's our stance on this? Because I have a big issue with some of the commercialization and the snake oiliness of it. And yet I don't want to rubbish an entire industry. industry. Exactly. So that's, I think, where we kind of it fell apart. So that's why we've come back for this episode 2.0. Not that you'll ever hear the first one. No. <laughs> because, it, yeah, it was just so, so broad. And um, so, I mean, when you think about wellness and social media, what immediately comes to mind for you? And you can start, start this answer while I go... And stoke the fire. All right. What comes to mind immediately, I think, is it's it's negative, to be honest. My first reaction, if you're if you're asking about wellness and social media, is like that snake oily, <clears throat> excuse me, preying on people's vulnerabilities, um, sort of stereotype. And I know that that's unfair or that's only that's a very one-sided way of looking at it but that is absolutely my first thought. I think if I step back and look at my <clears throat> excuse me, my thoughts on wellness more broadly, I have a much more holistic yeah. vision of what wellness is in that it's about um yes, physical wellness to a certain extent but in as much as you can separate the two, physical and mental wellness, but also spiritual wellness and, you know, relationship wellness and self-worth wellness. Um, so for me, it's a, it's one big picture. And I think that social media wellness on the whole focuses very much on the physical and then probably as a secondary, the mental. Really? Yeah, I think you're probably right i will say our perspectives are going to be very different because the information that i am served up as a woman of my age with the interests and you know accounts that i have previously followed algorithms are going to give me a hugely different picture of wellness um you know feeds than it will for you Mm. and we know this Mm. from the, the things that you've been served over the years uh yeah what do you think, though, when you think social media and wellness? I just think it's I'm being sold a product. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's purely what it is. Is is under the guise of here's some information. It's always and buy this thing, right? So here's some information from a doctor who happens to have their own supplement line. Yeah, yeah, but not even a doctor. Sure, <laughs> sorry, a quote doctor. <laughs> because I just think. I cannot believe it's just like every man and his dog are just talking about wellness and an aspect of wellness. And what, Can you give me some more information oh, like, about that? Okay, I'll give you an example. Yep. Liver King. <laughs> yep. Liver King, if you don't know who he is, he's this... Lucky you. <laughs> ...fitness uh, guru who I started to follow when he spoke. He started to talk about sort of like nose-to-tail eating and specifically liver and and what and eating like the liver raw liver raw liver mm-hmm. I, I guess at the start it wasn't even raw was it not no okay it was just like if you're eating liver this is good because it does x y and z sure i'm like okay well i went out and bought some liver i cooked it up 
you cooked some of it. I cooked some of it. Mm-hmm. What happened to the rest? It got, it got chucked in the freezer mm-hmm. and it stayed there mm. for about one and a half years until you said, I think it's time to get rid of this liver. And I agreed. Yep. Goodbye, liver. So it started like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these, this is why liver's important. This is, And I remember you talking like about him too. Our, yeah. Because he was like, he was, would speak about things that I could totally get behind, yeah, like, like getting oh, sunlight sense. on your eyes and your face first thing in that's the morning. That's what he used to say. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. Like that's, there's a lot of, as far as I'm aware, a lot of evidence that that kind of exposure to light in the morning is good for you. So, you know, it was like common sense stuff. Pretty common sense. And he called it the ancestral tenants, right? So this is like going back to this is what the cavemen did. And I was like, oh, God, okay, that's the spin, right? Well, mm-hmm. I can put up with that. But just, you know, what, what are the fundamentals? And that's what I was really concentrating on. But then he went crazy. Like it just kept on snowballing what he was doing. It got more and more extreme, right? Extreme. Yeah. And, you know, you do some research and, and look at, you know, what can go wrong when you're eating raw meat products and and not only liver but it went to like the heart and testicles and <laughs> yeah, I, <did. laughs> I loved Sorry. when I said that you were having a sip <coughs> of your coffee Sorry. a sip of coffee but I did see a video of him eating like raw bull, bull testicles. testicles I'm not going to yuck someone else's yum <laughs> I'm really not so, like, people have all sorts of diets, like, all sorts of yeah. nutrition approaches, and I am not going sure. – I am not qualified, nor no. am I interested no. in having an opinion on the way others eat. But it was just interesting to see how quickly this guy, who was probably already on the edge of, like, a well, little bit loopy. And, look, it came out later, like, this year, that everyone was accusing him of, of – being on steroids mm-hmm. and he like refuted it and said, no, I'm not. He, his body was like ridiculous. He was Look, a very, very large fake. muscular man. Yeah, yeah, like just fake. He was red. You know, he had that look about him that he was on steroids and he refuted it. But then it came out, someone caught him basically mm. purchasing steroids or sort of understood it. And so it came out and then he accepted it as well, which, I mean, it's just... It, this is what I find, and not just Liver King, but all these wellness influences. It's a race to the extreme. Yes. And when you're talking about wellness and extreme, that's serious. That's dangerous. That's hurtful. Yep. And that's scary. This is my problem with it, right? Like I said, people can do with their own bodies what they want, but it is so often the race to the more extreme. And this is why it's so interesting that it's t- we've tied so, so to social media specifically, it's been proven Mm. that you will get, if you're an influencer, you will get more engagement. You will reach further into the algorithm um, the more extreme you are and often the more negative you are. 100%. So whether that is um, a known piece of information for influencers or if it's just something that people are – you know, absorbing themselves through their own experience, it is having an impact, right? So you see, like, Liver King, maybe, maybe his initial intentions were positive and um, not extreme no at all. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think most people's intentions are. Yeah. And then 
they get stuck in this feedback loop of more engagement, which is the currency of social media, more attention because they said something slightly more extreme or controversial. So you do it again mm. and you just up the ante a little bit and then suddenly you're eating bull's balls. Yeah. And, you know, and whether you think that that's the right thing to do or not is irrelevant because you've tapped into the attention side of the equation rather than the intention. And we're talking about wellness. We could t- could be talking about any industry when Absolutely. it comes to social media or any of those influencing themes and topics. Yeah. Um, and we've seen it in, in the slow living space as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it gets more and more – for a while there anyway, I don't feel like I'm particularly engaged with it anymore. But um, for a while there it was like – how extreme can a minimalist be? Yeah. You know, um, how many items do, and I absolutely, I don't think I played into it for views Mm. or listens or whatever, because that was something that I was genuinely never interested in, but it played on my mind about how good a minimalist am I, Mm. you know, and it, it had huge impacts on my mental health. It's like I would spend weeks stressing about a purchase yeah. or, you know, something that we needed, but I didn't want to add to our like tally of items that we owned. It really did. Um, it did a number, a number on you. It did. Yeah. And I had to intentionally let go of that and step back from that. Yeah. And I think wellness is far more detrimental because. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it can impact not only your mental health, but your physical health too. There's this guy that I, not that I'm on Instagram very much anymore. In fact, I deleted it like three weeks ago. Oh yeah. That's another episode I think yes. which we can go into and yeah. that's social media and teenagers. Yeah. And like and social media and families. Um, yeah. but I, yeah, so I don't feel engaged with a lot of the influencery stuff anymore but there is a guy I follow. His name's Ben Carpenter and he is a personal trainer, really like, you know, visibly fit, muscular guy. Also lives with a couple of chronic illnesses, very open about his experiences with that. And he will talk about uh, how the vast majority of, so he debunks a lot of wellness influencer videos around health and fat loss and stuff. And he openly shares that the majority of influencers who might look like the ideal, right, the thing that people are trying to chase. So if it's a someone who's looking to build a lot of muscle and lose a lot of fat, mm. he said they may look like the thing that you want to, to achieve and they are so disordered. They're so unhealthy. They may look like the epitome of health as we're being sold it, but they are unhealthy because they have, you know, a really – disordered approach to nutrition or exercise uh and i find that people like him are really helpful counterpoints because it starts to remove the lens and i say this as someone who i feel like i've got a pretty good bullshit detector Mm -hmm. and i still routinely find myself having to pull back from you know snake oily stuff Mm. it's 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 a job i liken it the the current wellness movement to be like the diet movement of the 1990s where it was the like same thing. sugar slash fat wars. Like, yeah, truly, I think it's that level of 
marketing and consumerism? I don't think there is a very big distinction between mm. what passes as wellness and, and the, the diet, diet culture. The diet culture. Because yeah. wellness is dressed up in moral goodness, right? Mm -hmm. If you are well, then you must be a good person. Mm. And to be well, you typically have to be thin. You have to be conventionally attractive, probably white, mm. probably wealthy. Mm -hmm. Like that's – and if you happen to tick those boxes – then regardless of how well or otherwise you are, you are seen as a morally good person. And that's a real head trip to try and disentangle yourself from. I, yeah, I think that the crossover between diet culture and wellness culture is enormous mm. and so detrimental. Mm. Because as I said, there is so much wellness that is positive you know, so much wellness that has genuine benefits for people. But it's not necessarily the same stuff that is going to make you thinner or, mm. you know, more conventionally, Instagrammably attractive. Let's talk about some of those wellness, like on a practical sense. What is it that makes wellness for you a positive experience? Like what do you do in the wellness space, both on that when you're talking about mentally or physically, which is what I've I looked at in my own life, but then spiritually as well, which are, which is an interesting concept. Mm. It's a good question. I don't necessarily know how to define it. Um, what works for you within those three areas? I think it's. I'm speaking hesitantly because. I want to use the word self-care, mm. but you know that I have a very conflicted relationship with that phrase because it be has become so commercialized. So for me, it's finding small opportunities for genuine self-care that makes me feel supported, that makes me feel like from within, mm -hmm. that makes me feel valued or valid that makes me feel rested that I can find a a sense of care I guess like yeah it's okay yeah I think the way I view wellness let's start here it's a tool mm rather than the destination. And I think so much of the, so many of the issues that I have with wellness are because we treat it like the destination. Mm. You know, it's the thing that we're trying to achieve. Whereas I see it as a tool that I use that allows me to feel well or feel better or feel supported or you know loved or valued which then allows me to go and do other things yeah it's like a long-term view rather than the short-term view yeah and it's also not outcome related mm. which is a real head trip yeah the outcome related 
I'll push back on a little bit because I know what you're saying, like the the physical uh, manifestation of what like wellness looks like. So for me, it was weight loss. Yeah, weight loss and all that sort of Okay. So that's It's that. not anymore. But, but what about, and you've done this, you've told me this and we've discussed this before, is I'm doing this so I can ski with my grandchildren, so I can... Sure. Pick up my grandchild when I'm in my age. Do you, do you know what yep. I mean? Like it's that. It's that. Which so you're is, saying that's which an is, outcome. It is an outcome. It's a hundred percent an outcome. It's just not. It's a long term outcome. But it's also not a. It's a sustainable outcome. It's also not a visible outcome. It's not tied. It's a practical. It's very practical. Though. Sure, yeah. I, I get it, and yeah. I think for you and I, really, if we were to unpack why we would even delve into wellness stuff. It's because since we probably turned 40, we've both really wanted to age well. This is 40, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, we, that, but that's something that... Yes, uh, 100%. At, from 40, yep. we both said we really do want to age well. And what does that mean? It means that we would like to... We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know if we'll have grandkids. We don't know any of that stuff. But yep. So I guess that's, that's my point is it is not a visible outcome and it is not... Um, it's almost out of our control what that outcome looks like. Whereas chasing, for example, weight loss, which I did for many years and obviously no longer do, but um, that was a measurable mm. outcome, mm. which was part of the reason why it did such a number on my head. But yeah, And I actually don't think it's controllable either. As I say that now, you know, there are so many variables as to why you will or will not have a body that changes regardless of what you do or don't do to it. But the wellness industry teaches us that if only you worked a little bit harder, if only you ate a little bit less, if only, if only, if only, if only you bought this thing, if only you... Scarcity mindset. Then you will be in control of it. We're not. Hmm. We're not. So I'd say that, yeah, aging well is the intention. Yeah, nice. So yeah. I think that seeing wellness as a tool and trying very hard to extricate it from commercialization is, for me, the most balanced way of looking at it and allowing myself to stay open to a lot of the elements of it that have served me well uh, and staying vigilant of those elements that are trying to sell me stuff. Yeah. What, um, so some examples of wellness. Like I stretch, I drink water, I, mm. you know, I walk. I Okay, I have a an activity and sleep tracker. There you go. This, I was going to talk to you about wearable tech when yeah. it comes to wellness. Yeah, so I've got one of those rings yeah. that I've had for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I mostly got it because... When I was going through the worst of my health issues, my sleep was dreadful, absolutely appalling. And I wanted to get a bit more insight into what it actually looked like. And I found it incredibly beneficial. Yeah. Why? um, To track my sleep, first of all, Mm -hmm. and to see that the tiny changes that I make. So um, diaphragmatic breathing, for example, which I have been doing for about 12 months as a practice several times a day for a couple of minutes a day. It has had a marked improvement on my 
measurable well-being. So I get like monthly reports from this ring and it has shown me over the last year that my central nervous system so uh, and my heart rate variability, which is a measure of uh, overall health, has improved significantly. And that's lined up with a lot of changes that I've made to my well-being uh, in order to have those sorts of like those slow 1% type improvements. So that has been really helpful to see that the tiny changes that I've made, the breath, you know, the breathing practice, the stretching, the sticking to a, a bedtime, you know, 90% of the time, getting up at the same time, having a good morning rhythm that works for me, all of those things have had a positive impact. So in that way, I have no issue with, you know, mm. wearable tech. Mm. I think it could very easily become obsessive, obsessive, you know, and I do know of people who have bought like sleep trackers or whatever. Activity and trackers. I need to get my steps in today and the pace around the lounge room. Sure. I mean, and if that's your goal, if that's your like the way you measure yeah. that particular value of yours, you know, movement or whatever, fine. Mm. Um, for me, it would be more obsessing over like, oh, my God, I didn't get good sleep last night. Oh, I'm mm. going to be. Again, it's like the long-term factors yes. rather than the short-term yes. like day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's like trending. Me. Yeah. Trending factors. Yep, I got one. I got one, a different kind of wearable, but I did get one. And I was mostly interested in recovery. Yeah. Because I'm really challenged by how much I can put push myself. Yeah. And I wonder whether I push myself enough. So like there's this strain, strain kind of measurement mm -hmm. uh, and it measures um, like a lot of different things like your heart rate and all that sort of stuff and then your recovery from that. Mm. Because I always think and I'm because I'm mostly mostly trained by myself, mm -hmm. am I pushing myself hard enough? to realize benefits mm -hmm. and the answer is no, I don't think I am based on my activity tracker. Right. That I can push myself harder than what I currently am doing, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Like yeah, it is weird. And I recoil a little <laughs> bit from that. Of course I, knew I would. would. Of course I, I knew would. You would. Like, cause that's the antithesis to slowness almost like that's not even entirely true but the recovery piece is like the slow that's, piece that's right? very true so if i reach like this strain factor whatever that is then it, it will say to me you need to recover today right. and you need to do like a moderate strain like don't go over x amount and how do you feel when it tells you to calm your farm a little bit I feel fine. You don't feel frustrated? No, 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 not at all. Because okay. usually I don't I don't like exercising to that level back-to-back -back days. Mm -hmm. I always have to have a day off. Uh, so like day on, day off is how I like to, to do it. Not always able to do that, but that's that's how I like to do it. So I think it's fine. I just, I find it valuable in 
yeah, just that recovery piece, which and sleep is part of that. Yeah, okay. I get a sleep score. Yeah, and that's part of the recovery. Have you found yourself obsessing about any of them? Like um, when you first got it, were you? Oh yeah, I was looking at it like multiple times a day. And, right. And and trying to work out, okay, why did I get a seventy nine percent sleep score? Right. Yeah. Did it change your behavior? Like, have you adapted or adopted any? wellness type things to help improve your sleep score for example Mm. or is it just a number that you obsess over i think uh no practically it looks like doing more deep breathing okay one two is like when like go to bed when i said when it tells you when it kind of plans me to go to bed like go to bed uh, I'm amazed at how much sleep I need. I'll put mm, it that way. Mm-hmm. Like over eight hours mm-hmm. for optimal sleep, which I, I was like, wow, I didn't think I needed that much, but mm-hmm. apparently I do. Uh, again, for that optimal recovery. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 can, I can. I don't like it when my sleep score is no good. That's frustrating, particularly if that's a day that I need, I want to work out. Do you think that? Keep going. I just need to go and stoke the fire again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you think that those days that you get the, the low sleep score you feel worse because you know you had a bad sleep? I haven't had it for long enough to... Uh, yes is the answer to that, but I've only had it for like a month. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know how that looks from a trend perspective. And that's what that's what I like about it. It's like it actually says you are not optimised yet for some of these scores. Like it takes a month right. or even more for it to be accurate in that stuff so um but yes i can uh i could definitely see myself becoming obsessed about this i think if you were going to you already would have is what i would say Yeah, yeah, yeah but it does i mean so even in that that one example both of us having you know wearable tech that helps us and genuinely does help us to access more wellness yeah. options you know yeah that's a product right we're giving our money oh, to... we're 100 percent bought into the yeah that product again though to look just need to remember it's a tool right yes it's a tool and it has many look there's no doubting that it has benefits and for other people as well. For example, I bought my dad a, just a purely str- a sleep tracker. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad has recently been diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. And I'll probably, we'll probably talk about this later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was obsessing about his sleep and about how much sleep he was getting because he didn't think he was getting enough. Yep. Where my mum would say, "No, you've got plenty." So we bought him this sleep tracker, and it actually, and it, so it's, it's like scientific. It's, it shows you not only how much sleep you're getting, what kind of yeah. sleep, 
and for how long yeah. and when you work, like all that stuff. So it, it's, it's data. for him, for him, and yeah, just purely data. For him, it just provides like assurance, reassurance yeah. of, of, of what it was like. So yeah. it's like, oh, I had a bad sleep. Well, well, no, you didn't because you, this is what it looked like. Mm. And or alternatively, yeah, yes, you did. No wonder exactly. you're so tired. Exactly. It makes sense because yeah. you are literally sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. So I think so that's what like a the, great, what a huge like advantage. Absolutely. And it is. has been. It yeah. has proven to, yeah. to be, it has released attention. That was a significant obsessive anxiety. Yeah. Attend, you know, issue yep. um, for my dad and his condition, mm-hmm. and it's it's. I'm not going to say relieved all of it, but it has. It's been a conversation. Um, uh, it's been an ongoing point of tension. It, yes, that's that's yeah. the word. I was struggling. Which is to... which is it is nowhere near as much no. the case anymore. No. So the World Health Organization defines wellness, and I think this is really interesting, wellness as a state of complete complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely absence of disease or infirmity. That feels exhausting mm. to me and also incredibly exclusionary as a measurement definition of wellness. Mm-hmm. I understand like if you're looking at it as a binary thing, to be well is to be the opposite of ill. Yet I've been living with chronic condition conditions over the last few years and I really and by no means um as challenging as many people living with a disability or you know severe chronic illness, I really bristle at the thought that anyone who is living with a chronic health condition or cancer or, you know, any number of illnesses is just excluded from wellness. That really annoys me. (laughs) Um, So I think that it's probably more, more evidence for me that Wellness is not a destination. But what do you think when you hear that? Because you're you don't you're not living with any chronic conditions or anything. Like when you hear that, does that sound like a something that you want to achieve? Like is that a mountain you want to climb? Or is it something that you're like, no, thank you. That sounds tiring. It just sounds like a, a definition that has been originated from a, a committee. Sure. Policymakers, sure, and that's all there is. It, it, that has then influenced policy decisions. So that's all that's that definition is, which is a problem huge, to me. Huge, huge problem. Like that's a, an enormous problem that policies are being created with a vast chunk of society just not considered as like worthy or um capable i don't know yeah or or, um just even included absolutely that inclusiveness they're excluded from that measurement and i think that the the state of complete health 
is what's wrong with the wellness industry because mm. I think to a certain extent, absolutely spend time focusing on your well-being, spend time trying to optimize your health. You know, I'm not a biohacker. I'm not interested in like, ironically, I'm not interested once I get to a certain point in those tiny 1% tweaks, you know, where people are <laughs> like, if you go to bed at like 15 yeah. minutes earlier and if you drink this tea and if you do these exercises and if you sync everything to this particular like chronotype or whatever, you will feel 1% better. Mm. Like at some point I think there's diminishing returns and I'd prefer to spend that, that energy doing other stuff. Yeah. I'd prefer to spend it on relationships or create creative projects or gardening or like watching a movie <laughs> with my kids, you know? So I think it's that, that mentality of like, if I work hard enough, I'll be a hundred percent well. Mm. And then what? Mm -hmm. Then what? Like, like I, this is not like a. I'm not saying give up, but we're all gonna die. You can work as hard as you want to optimize your health and well-being, and you're still gonna die. I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying you know do things that make you feel bad just because it's easier. But at some point, there's got to be. For me, anyway, there's a point where I'm like, this is good, good enough. I feel yeah. well enough. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Even that makes me feel uncomfortable because of the Just moral issue, right? Yeah. yeah. Because if you're not, like, maybe I'm not that good a person then. You know, like, that's how yeah. tightly tied it is to yeah. goodness. Yeah. Maybe I'm not as good as I th think I am. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. And I think that's really interesting mm -hmm. that that was my reaction. Like I truly believe that, you know, sure, absolutely work on your wellness, feel well, feel happy, find contentment. But at some point it's like the capitalist version of health. <laughs> oh, 100%. You know, it's yeah. like when, when is it enough? When's it enough? And funnily enough, it will never be enough because someone else will invent some new app or some new thing or some new way of doing it that is meant to make it just that little bit better. Mm. Yeah, it's that trend stuff. You know, like I read an article recently where it's like hit training is now um, doing you more harm than good. Oh, see, that's it. Because now it's all about s slow cardio as the way to build longevity and burn fat and all the rest. And it... Like, I just immediately go back to tabloid magazine articles of the 90s talking about diet fads. Oh, honey. <laughs> like, that's, where, that's my, where my mind goes now with all that. And it's basically the same thing. Big money, hey? Yeah. That's all it is, just big money. And it's just so interesting, though, to see what happens publicly when someone dares to step out of that like, mm. and say, actually... This is just a pile of crap. Yeah. Um, you know, find happiness, like find contentment in yourself, move, eat. I, and oh, See, even this is complex, right? Because I went to say move your body, eat less processed food. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's fairly common sense. We know that those things are going to contribute to overall health. Mm-hmm. But what gives me the right to say that that's what people want? Yeah. Maybe that's not what people want. But if your goal is to 
feel well in your body, that those common sense places are probably a good place to start and finish maybe. Yeah. Because beyond that, it gets really murky and really confusing. And speaking from like personal experience, damaging. Yeah. Gets real damaging real quick. How's this for a statistic? Kind of blew me away and it challenged a few things which we've already spoken about, but as a society, we are 20% less active now than we were in the 1960s. Oh, I'd believe that. So knowing what we know about fitness and health and wellness, that that is from, you know, the dietary side is, you know, looking at macros and what you need to eat to have like an optimal diet and mm-hmm. less process versus, you know, or, you know, we've spoken about that. We've spoken about like, types of exercise we need to do mm-hmm. uh, uh, and wearable tech as tools mm-hmm. and, you know, the big data we have now in in research and all the rest about exercises. fact of the matter is we're less well than we were in the 1960s. Yeah. With all that information. What does that show? What does that tell you? Oh, God. It shows us a lot of things, I think. It shows us that lifestyle is not. Um, you know, the average lifestyle now is not equipping us to move frequently. The food that is available to us is far more varied, but on the whole, far more processed. I'm, and this is not like a back in the good old days kind of commentary at all, because okay, boomer. <laughs> how rude! <laughs> it's not though, because like <laughs> life was really terrible for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, fifty, sixty years ago. Um, but from that health perspective, I don't think that the increase, the vast, vast increase of information and knowledge is serving us all that well. Although in saying that people were also told in the sixties, women were told to smoke so that their babies were delivered. The pregnant women were told to smoke so that their babies were delivered smaller. What? So I've been told I wasn't alive. Uh, you know, and there was all sorts of questionable advice given either because the knowledge wasn't there or because certain people had vested interests like tobacco companies and whatnot. Mm. So even that is, you know, messy. Mm -hmm. But I think that the convenience side of it, the busyness side of it, the constant connection to tech side of it means that we are often far more sedentary depending what you do for work and you know everything else but on the whole far more sedentary even in our downtime yeah that that doesn't surprise me i would have thought it would be more okay well by 2030 it will be 35 percent. right so if that trend continues uh so how do we buck that trend what are the solutions to this go simple it's yeah. got to be simple. But, you know, it's also I, – I, I don't think you can lead people towards anything mm. unless they want to be led. So some people don't want to change and that's their prerogative. You know, for me, I know that the change came um, – the year I turned 40, I made my overall, like, yearly theme health. Yeah. And joke was on me because that's when I got sick. But um, – that was that stemmed from my intention to age well 
and everything has probably grown from that intention ever since. No one could have made me do that unless I wanted to. So whether or not it's talking about the realities of what it could look like to age well, you know, and allowing or giving people permission to think about aging as a positive thing, maybe, because then Mm. that becomes a goal or a, a value, you know, to age well. I think people are terrified of aging and terrified of walking into it intentionally. I am. Terrified of aging. Yeah. Hmm. And yet you're choosing, you're making choices to to do it as well as you can. Correct. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the way around that, right? Is to age, but age in a way that you're the best version of mm. that. So you say, what can we do? Like, how do we reverse the, mm. the trend? So think long-term, think sustainable, think non-immediate, think... But, yeah, sure. Absolutely. But, you know, it's not a matter of creating like a public health conversation because everyone's values are different, right? Everyone. Mm. Mm. I'm sure that if you asked people, no one would say they willingly want to choose to feel worse. Yeah. But what feeling better looks like and feels like is different for everyone. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I think it's it's really tricky. And I know we kind of moved away from social media and, and wellness there towards the end, but I think that social media does have a huge role to play there because the overarching conversation around health and wellness on social media is one of youth. It's one of staying young as long as possible. And if you can't do that, i.e. you can't do that because – you can't no stop can. yourself from aging, yeah, yeah. even though there's a lot of podcast bros who try to tell you that you can. Um, aging's just a disease, apparently. Um, I don't agree with that, by the way. I think that if people were able to extricate themselves from that messaging, even just a little bit, and separate wellness from external health, it might change what it what the pursuit of it looks like. And then it can become something very simple. It can be like, well, do I feel better when I move for 15 minutes a day? Do I feel, does my brain feel better? Do, does my body feel better? Not does it look better? Not does it, you know, even move better, but do I feel better? And what are the flow-on effects of that over a week, over a month, over a year? I think maybe that's that's where it, it could shift for people by simplifying it. You know, what happens if I add one new non-processed food to my diet a day, to like my nutrition a day? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Yeah. And of course, I do just want to say before we wrap up on this topic, there is a huge element of privilege attached to a lot of the wellness stuff, particularly nutrition, but also movement and exercise. So much of it is just flat out not available to people because of the price tag. Very true. You know, so I think that any effort that we can make to simplify that, to slow it down, to bring it back to like a very, very, very small building block Mm -hmm. 
is a positive thing, but it always needs to be seen through the lens of money, exposure, accessibility, and understanding that not everyone's playing field is the same. Same, yep. You know, yeah, that's a good way to, to finish. Because I don't like the judgment that then comes with it. It's like, well, you're just not trying hard enough. Yep. When someone has access to all of those things, someone else has access to none of them, you cannot no. say that it's a, a level playing field. Can't compare. Yeah. No. And that's wellness, you just can't compare, full stop. Well, yeah. That, yeah. I think that's probably ultimately yeah. why so much of the conversation was like this, silence, like thinking, because you start to try and speak in absolutes and there are none. No. When it comes to health and, and wellness and well-being, there are none. Absolutely not. Anyway, that's our views on wellness. Uh, if you've got your own views, why don't you share them over on Substack? That's the tortoise. Brookmccallery.substack.com. That's it. Just getting used to that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where that's where I live these days. So... I live in Substack. <laughs> you do. You really do. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, you know, it's it's developing into this really wonderful community. Actually, I love it a lot. I love the people who subscribe, people who comment, people who take part in our Friday confabs. It's just a, a I've really rediscovered my love of writing over mm. the past few months, and a lot of that's down to what I've been putting out into the world over on Substack. Yeah, go and yeah. check it out. We also must thank those that have um, left us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Absolutely. All those new ratings and reviews really helped. Um, and if you would like to and haven't done so yet, please please feel free to do that. We, um, Yeah, we truly thank you. That It's been great. You've said some very kind things um, about the podcast, about the the old slow home pod and the tortoise in its new iteration. So it's, um, yeah, it's been really cool to see actually. I don't often allow myself to feel that. And it's been really nice. I like that. You know what else I like staring at a fire, being zoned out on this fire. It's yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite so things. Nice. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love that the weather is starting to cool down so that we can do this. A little more. Um, let's get on to the second piece that we're going to talk about, and that's an article that you found mm. on the secret to thriving in life. Yeah, which I thought was a great counterpoint to the wellness conversation. It's not all about being comfortable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that kind of comes back to what I was saying about strain and Correct. and activity and, yeah. So I will include a link to this article um, in the show notes, which is over at the Tortoise on Substack. Um, but it is an article written by a neuroscientist named Paul Taylor. Um, and his theory essentially is that discomfort, inconvenience, a certain amount of strain and stress is good for us. Is not only good for us, it's essential. Yes, correct. Paired with, as you said, recovery, paired with connection, paired with sleep and rest and, you know, all of those other things. But I just thought it was a really interesting article. Um, it made – there's a, a little bit of um, 
fear is the wrong word, a little bit of that element of going to extremes in the article. Mm. And I, you know, he's selling a book. He's so, promoting a book. Yeah, yeah. I understand where that's coming from. They would have taken an excerpt from his book that has the most strong kind of messaging and run with that. Uh, so I do get that. But ultimately I thought that his message was really interesting. And I mean, he, he focused a lot on physical discomfort and then physical recuperation. Yeah. I am more interested in emotional discomfort and the okay. conversation around that. Yep. Well, challenging your ideas and thoughts, is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. I think that having difficult conversations, um, allowing yourself vulnerability, you know, really stepping into the fear of being seen or being wrong or allowing yourself to evolve. I think that there are huge benefits to that. But something I have found myself thinking about a lot lately is, so people will say, you know, you build resilience by going through difficult things, by, you know, having tough conversations, having difficult experiences, will build resilience. I agree to a certain extent. But where is the line between something that builds resilience and something that damages us? I don't know. Neither do I. It's not. Is it lessons learned? Is it your ability to reflect on that experience? And then ultimately, what, what I really like about it is that if you think about, back to your greatest achievements or things that you're very proud of, most of them involve some form of stress and being out of your comfort zone. Sure. So you, that's a reflection, right? Mm -hmm. Like you only know that when you've when you've been able to reflect on that experience. Okay. So to answer your question, it's reflecting on that experience and going, "Oh no, this is this has happened as a result of that and it might be like trauma, it might be you know, like the bad experience." Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I don't necessarily... Agree with it. Agree. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a choice to look back over difficult things and say, as a result of going through these difficult things, this discomfort, wherever it fell on the scale of discomfort, these positive things have happened or these lessons have come from it. That's a choice to be able to do that. I don't think we can always do that. And I think sometimes there are things that happen to us and we're like, that just sucked. That sucked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't help but think, though, that we're bringing this other... Oh, look, it's going to come down to the individual, isn't it? Sure. Some people will never embrace discomfort because of a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Whether it's trauma, like too many trauma, like experiences of trauma on one end of the scale, and then the other end of the scale is people might just be victims. Right. And just have that victim mentality. Mm -hmm. We all know people like that. Mm -hmm. So it's down to the individual and growth mindset. That's all it is. Mm. 
But some experiences, yes, you will reflect on them and go, oh no, that was a traumatic experience. There's no positive to, to, to come out of that. Mm. Um, or some might say, look, that was a really traumatic experience, but this is the lesson that I've learned from mm. it. I don't know. Yeah. Is it, it's down to the individual and their mindset. Yeah, I think um, there's also a role of healing, you know. Yep, I'm going to go and put another log on the fire. Okay. <laughs> Choosing to heal in spite of – maybe that's the difference. Yep. We choose to there. heal in spite of the crappy thing that happened. Yep. Or not. You know, we choose to blame the crappy thing that happened on, as to why we cannot heal or recover. I wrote a little while ago, or last week, on the tortoise about the difference between healing and recovery. And the difference ultimately for me is that recovery is about going back to what once was. Okay. Yep. You know, we recover from an injury and ultimately we've come back to the same state that we were previously, whereas healing is overcoming, it's moving forward. And that was really helpful for me because you can heal forward, you can heal with scars, you can heal with pain and lessons learned and not like going through what I've gone through over the last couple of years, I can't recover. And recognizing that I cannot recover, I cannot go back to how, to what and how and who I was, but I can heal. That was a huge yeah. shift for me. Yeah. Because healing is about moving forward. Healing is about perhaps going back to that article, you know, embracing what the discomfort has given us and moved forward in spite of, rather than scrambling to get back to. Yeah. And that, and, that's a key insight there is people's um, obsession and, and we all have it because we're human beings is that, oh, it was great back then because mm. of mm. I was younger, I was fitter. Trying to get back to I what was we were. Yeah. yeah, where that is the greatest fallacy of mm -hmm. being alive is that you can never go back there. Mm. Which really puts paid to most of the wellness industry then, doesn't it? Totally. <laughs> I didn't actually design. Debunks the whole industry. But you can't. There. Like, yeah. you can't go back. And that's, look, that's right. And I think the key is then what we were discussing is that it is instead, instead of going back and, and, and looking with in the rear view mirror of, mm. oh, I want to be back at mm. that weight or that level of fitness or whatever it is. Mm. It's you look into the crystal ball and you say, this is how I want to feel when I'm X years old or when I have this or when I'm, do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that it's there's just, also something to be gained for finding contentment in the way you are right now. And absolutely, yeah. Because I think that either can be, quite damaging grasping too far into the yep. future for things yep. that we are not in control of versus wishing we could go back they're both quite um that's really hard though isn't it to 
to get into that mindset of just being content where you are now and what you're doing. That's why it's difficult, but that's why it's so powerful. Yeah. Which then, you know, if we're talking about discomfort, where does discomfort come into contentment as well? Do you know <laughs> Do you know need, what I mean? It needs to be a daily thing. Yeah. For then you to realize what what contentment looks like. Sure. It's not a permanent state. Yeah. When was the last time you felt uncomfortable physically? Like you pushed My yourself? My latest wor- like heavy workout mm-hmm. probably. How often do you work out? Actually, you know what? Moving eight cubic tons of firewood. Tons? Uh, eight teen cubic. <laughs> a lot of firewood. was a lot of firewood. Yeah. So you, that was yesterday. You felt physically oh, yeah, uncomfortable. Just, you put yourself in the way of discomfort on purpose. To get the job done. Right. And did you find a sense of... Um, achievement, contentment. Yeah, it was enjoyment. good to move the move the wood. I was disappointed at the how I stacked it. <laughs> okay, because it wasn't neat as I wanted it to be. You have firewood stacking envy, though. I for some reason, yeah, I do. I could spend That's more okay. time on it and get it, but it will require me chopping wood mm-hmm. as I go, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not about that life. <laughs> Okay, when was the last time you felt emotionally uncomfortable? Emotionally uncomfortable. Um, I know this this just sprang to mind. Um, doing a short online course about understanding dementia. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That will do it. That's all I want to say about that at the moment. Fair enough. But too. yeah, that yeah and. I think profession, like from a professional career standpoint, I am always wanting to to throw myself into the deep end mm-hmm. to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. One of the huge influences of my life, my working life, has been something that your dad said to me early in my career: "Is fake it till you make it." Okay. That's essentially being dis- like uncomfortable until you are not not in your career mm-hmm. yeah okay so it's embracing so the, i'm in my career i think i do it all the time i yeah, yeah. watching you operate i would yeah. agree with that what about you physically um yesterday i spent a couple of hours in the garden probably doing heavier work than i have in quite some time uh But it's interesting with you in the physical discomfort because you're so used to what it was like in the past, being able to push yourself. You can no longer do that. No. And I feel like it requires me to come to you and say, I think that's enough now. I struggle with that, yes, absolutely. I think you've done enough. Yeah, I do very much struggle with that because, you know, two or three years ago I could spend five, six, seven hours in the garden and – be very tired, but not wrecked. Yeah. Whereas now I might be able to do half an hour, mm. some days less, some days more. Yesterday was was a good hit out. Yeah. But you still had to say it's time, even though I knew, like I knew it was. And time. then you came in and I said, "How did how did you feel? How did you feel? Like you you spent I don't know three hours out there, 
how do you feel? And, she, and you went, I felt like I spent half an hour too much. Yeah. So that that's um, but that is emotionally uncomfortable for me to have to constantly weigh up the physical side mm. of it is also emotionally uncomfortable. So it's it's I don't think I've got a lot of clarity around it at the moment because it's still something I'm absolutely learning to accept and yeah go with. But there is a definite crossover between and I find the same thing when you know you and I do usually most weeks we'll do a personal training session together with an our awesome trainer and I have to stop myself yep. from doing a full hour. I cannot if I did a full hour, I've done it and I'm out of Destroyed. action for a week. Yeah. I just cannot do it at the moment. And that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So it's really weighing up the the two types of discomfort. The emotional discomfort that, oh, I'm a failure. Oh, I suck. I used to be able to do this mm. with the physical discomfort of pushing myself, which actually feels kind of good in the doing, but I know that the fallout will be significant and deeply unpleasant. So that's, you know, I'm finding that that challenging. Um, so yeah, that's I, physical? I, yeah. Okay, so what about mentally then? I throw myself into emotional discomfort a lot. Yeah, I'm, you do. Um, You're always challenging yourself. Yeah, I think that... And challenging others, particularly I must me. be annoying. I must be annoying <laughs> to live with, <laughs> to be like around. Um, because I think I probably have a similar perspective on emotional discomfort to what you do with your work. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would really And agree. I think that's tied to my writing and tied to the kind of person I am and the way that I figure things out. Um Because so, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Oh all right. What the hell is that? I don't know. I need to I need to find out what that is. It's a book. It was a book from like the eighties. Yeah, it sounds I, really bad. Yeah, I, I haven't read it. Can't pass judgment on it. Um if you've read it, let us know <laughs> Yeah. I hate that as a stereotype, by the way. I, I recoil at it. Sorry for bringing it up. Please share what you were going to say. I'm getting silly now. I think it's time to uh, wrap, wrap this up, up soon. Yeah, I think the last time I was emotionally uncomfortable, mm. I apologized for something. Not to you. I was going to say, <laughs> who was the lucky recipient? Oh, don't. I apologize all the time. Excuse me? I do. You do. But what do you remember the specific specific of it or not? I just snapped at someone. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And it was not at all a big deal. Yeah. But in that context, apologies never happen. And for me, it was actually a very intentional choice to say sorry because because they never happen and I am at a point in my life now where I don't want patterns of behavior that have stood for a long time to continue standing for no good reason generational patterns so what it was how do you feel now after apologizing fine fine like um, do you feel great about it 
about having snapped at someone? No, or no, about no, having apologised. Um, I feel like it was the right thing to do. Because remember, it's not what you do; it's your reaction then from it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So my, my that's re- what matters. My intention was true and positive. Yeah. Uh, and I think learning to extricate my feelings about my choices versus the choices of someone else and their reactions and my feelings about that, that's that's an ongoing process. Yeah. So, you know, you can apologize and have all the right intentions and feel fine about apologizing and still get mad about what the fallout was. Yeah. You can Those two things can both happen at the same time. Uh, and it's just learning to separate them, I think. Like that, this is the kind of stuff that I think about all, all the, time. the time. Yeah. You poor bugger. Like the conversations that I have with you, you must get so tired of listening to what happens in my head. So, from a professional career <laughs> point of view, you definitely challenge yourself. Work wise. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Only recently, though. Yeah. Well, Actually, you know what? It's, I think it's. The thing that's changed the most. You've challenged yourself more and more. I mean, the tortoise is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Like you just re-purposed or re-branded a very successful podcast to something. Yeah. Like it's different. Yeah. Going in a different direction. I do love those big, big pivots sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, but Substack also, is another example. Like you and and the writing you're doing now, it's totally different. You're con, you're continually challenging yourself. Maybe, yeah. It's it's tricky. I I find I find that a probably a more complicated conversation to have mm. um, because a lot of my feelings about the work that I do as a writer, specifically that mm. that work, is tied up with self-worth which is tied up with frustratingly money um and being unvalued as a writer uh you know this is a conversation that you and I have had for many years ongoing uh and I feel like maybe something has shifted over the last six months or so which I'm very grateful for I am too and it reflects in how I feel about my writing, how I feel about the work that is writing, how I feel about the projects that I'm working on. I think And as a whole, how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And your work. Yeah. It's it's very intricately woven into my view of, of who I am and the value that I have. I don't recommend it, but it's where I'm at at the moment. So there is always discomfort. You know what? Around my work, there is always discomfort. I yeah. get very nervous still with every post that I write. I second guess myself. I wake up feeling quite um, anxious the days that I know a new post is scheduled to go out. Like there is an, an enormous amount of discomfort that comes from writing I know that, like, it's of no real consequence in the world. Like, I'm not saving lives. I'm not, you know, curing cancer. I'm not delivering babies. But it's just, 
I think it's just a testament to the authenticity and it's like you, you're putting yourself out there. Yeah, like and it's scary. You're, it's 100% you. <laughs> yep. Do you know? Like, I wish I knew how to make it not, Yeah, <laughs> but, but I don't. Yeah, that's just your style and your, yeah. As, yeah, I, 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 I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, what a conversation. What a, what a, what a huge conversation. We do need to, though, just circle back on our reoccurring topics for the year, and mm-hmm. that is 1% mm-hmm. and four-day working week. Yes. Why don't you go first, 1%. How are you going? Uh, this month has been a little more scattershot than last month. So March I felt really, really driven, really attached to the idea of the 1%. Like I was um, almost routine which I'm not often routine in anything I was quite routine in my one percent application so that was stretching every morning working on my novel um every day or the equivalent of you know every day which adds up to around like one percent of a month is seven to eight hours and I had certainly done that in March April we've been away with family the kids are on holidays my routine is completely gone and I willingly walk into that every 10 weeks when the kids are on holidays it's a choice that I make but it means that I've had to be a little more flexible and fluid with how I apply the idea of one percent so some days it's literally what can I do what what is a one percent increase in effort in something and that's enough you know it might be taking an extra 30 seconds to tidy up the kitchen bench before I go to bed it could be you know Realizing I haven't done any breathing exercises that day, doing them in bed when I'm reading. Um, it could be giving you a hug. It could be, you know, anything like that. I, I still view all of those things as an effort towards the 1% because they are intentional and I'm choosing to do them because I believe they will have some kind of impact over a long period of time. I'll never know what they are. No. But I know, I know yeah. that they exist. Exist, yeah. Um, but in saying that, I'm also trying as much as I can to give that 1% of time to my writing. And some, that means that maybe I did an hour on a Saturday, hour on a Sunday, rather than 15 minutes a day, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I still feel good about it. I love it as a tool. I absolutely mm. love it because it is so flexible and fluid, but so positive and forward moving, you know. Mm. Um, another example is like when we tried to record this episode like 10 days ago yeah and we got five ten minutes into it and we looked at each other and we're like you know what the kindest thing to do is this let's just not you know and and the flow-on effect of that was positive too yeah right because hopefully this episode is so much better what's better than something that doesn't exist (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i absolutely love it as a tool um and i can't see myself not using it yeah. What about you? What has the four day work week traveling? Weird. Like it's, it's pretty terrible. This month is different again. Yeah. It's going to be really hard. So you went from the beginning of this year sold that on the fact that it was going to happen to now. It's not going to happen how I thought it would happen. Yeah. How did you think it would happen? Every Friday I would have off. Sure. And I'd be on the golf course. Okay. And. <laughs> Not going to happen. How many times have you played golf this year? Once. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it, what's it going to look like 
I've got to be more flexible in my definition of what the four-day work week okay. is. I need to create and manage expectations with clients around it. Yeah. Um, I need to get out of the mindset that I am an employee. Yes. With employee benefits. Yep. Whereas I'm a consultant with hopefully consulting benefits. I'm talking very vague here because... Well, you've got clients. and yeah. So I just need to, yeah, ma- better manage expectations, uh, better be kind to myself when it doesn't look like what I hoped it looked yeah, like. Yeah, right. Um, and because I think just being self like it's it would be easier for an organisation in the trials that have been done is they have set days like it's it's a four day work week yeah within this within this timetable and this is what it looks like can't do that mm. so I need to then just better manage what what the definition of a four day work week looks like for me I did have one magical week where it did work yeah now it's about Okay, there are circ- circumstances out of my control. How do I? Uh, how do I still get the benefits? Right, and that's what I was going to say. Rather than focusing so much on what it looks like, could it be refocusing your attention on how it feels? Yes. You know, so whether yes. or not that is a reduction in hours worked over five days, or you know, the day gift. is not always a Friday. Yeah, or it or, might be two hours here and yeah. three hours there, you know, or working in a way that you can take two extra days off over a long weekend once every, you know, yeah. three months, whatever it might anyway, be. Anyway, that's, that's where, I'm, where, at. where I'm at at the moment. Mm-hmm. The magical fairy tale definition of it, mm. which works for some people, but for me and my work, at the Unf- moment. At the moment, unfortunately, is not working. I'm a bit angry about it. Okay. Disappointed. Frustrated? Frustrated. Interesting. I guess holding on to that outcome as opposed to the process it might not be a super positive thing for you at the moment then if the outcome looks like every Friday off. No. And I opened this conversation by saying how stressed I am. I actually feel so much calmer now (laughs) having just talked. Okay. Therapy, it works. It does. It it does. Of course it does. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's it. On that note, yeah. Thank you. What a a good yarn we've had. I've enjoyed it. The fire's been great. That's really relaxed me, looking at the flames. Um, I've enjoyed your insights. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> so if you haven't already, head over to The Tortoise. You can find all the show notes for today's episode. So that's brooklycalorie.substack.com. You can always just search for the name of the episode. This is episode number two of The Tortoise. You'll find everything you need there. If you haven't, also subscribe. Um, I send out a Friday newsletter every Friday for free to everyone on the list. And often it's an essay, an insight into what's been happening. Um, There's also a big archive there that you can dig into, see what, um, what the writing's all about. I would love to have you there. There's lots and lots of 
slow home podcast listeners and slow home readers from way back who have found their way over to the tortoise and it's so cool yeah. to see like names that I have you haven't seen for a while yeah, yeah. and interacting with people after you know a decade it's wow. really cool. That is cool it's really cool there's something about the community over there that um, has filled me up so I'd love to have you come and join us yeah, but in the meantime we'll be back in your ears in a month third Thursday of every month is when the new episode drops and uh, take good care until then